Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Go with me to the book of Luke, Luke the first chapter. I want to continue something I started on the Sunday following Thanksgiving, and uh, we took Luke chapter one as our opening text. I want to turn there again today and then turn our attention back to some of the things that uh, we said and began to say and then go a little further. Luke chapter one, we know that, of course, Luke is the writer of this gospel that, that bears his name. We know he's also the writer of the book of Acts. And, uh, and so in Luke chapter one, uh, he opens his gospel this way. He says, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. I pointed out that the regular King James and even in the margin of this new King James and many other new translations uh, retain this uh, translation of those words. Instead of saying those things which have been fulfilled among us, it says those things which are most surely believed among us. And so I prefer that reading. I think it fits better uh, with uh, the context of the next uh, three verses. So I'm going to read it over that way and then go on down and read the following three verses. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which are most surely believed among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. He said that he had taken in hand, as many others had, to set in order a narrative of those things which were most surely believed among us. I talked to you last time, like I said, it was weekend of, uh, of Thanksgiving, how important it is that we know uh, the certainty of the things that we believe. Amen. It's important that we know what we believe, but it's also important that we have what we believe. A lot of people believe things, but to them they are just beliefs and creeds, but they don't actually possess what they say they believe. In one sense, you could say if you don't possess it, you don't really believe it. Or you could, you could be a little softer and you could say, if you don't actually have it, do you really believe in it? Amen. I'm going to say that again because that didn't go over so well. If you don't really have it, do you really believe in it? If you're not really experiencing it, then why aren't you experiencing it? Could it be that you don't really believe it's for you? Amen. And, and if we believe in something, if we believe something to be true, if, believe, if we believe God has provided things for us, then if we really believe that, we will reach for those things and not rest and not be satisfied unless we possess those things and experience those things in our lives. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And so uh, it is important. And uh, so there, there are some fundamental truths that, that uh, are critically important in this hour in which we live. And one of the most important truths and realities that we have and we should be experiencing today is the blessed ministry of the Holy Spirit to us and in us personally and to us and in us as a congregation, as a local church. The Holy Spirit is alive and he's in the church. He has a purpose. He has a function. And we cannot fulfill the plan of God, we cannot carry out the great commission of God. We cannot do the work of God. Indeed, we cannot be the people of God unless we fully submit to the ministry of the Holy Spirit and actually have what he has provided for us working in our lives. 
It's impossible to please God without yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit and taking advantage of his help. Jesus said before he left, he said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send you another helper just like me. Well, if he, sent, if he went away and said that it's imperative that you receive this helper, then we need not only the helper, we need his help. We need all the help the helper brings, all the help the helper provides. Any provision he has that we're not taking advantage of, then we're not experiencing the help that Jesus said would come to us and we ought to have in our lives. Amen? And so it's important today. Amen. The ministry of the Holy Spirit. I mentioned this two weeks ago that there are concerning the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit, there are two camps or two groups in the body of Christ uh, and they have differences of, of opinions concerning the Holy Spirit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. One are, are called cessationists. Now you can, you'll actually see this word if you read Christian periodicals very often you'll, 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 you'll uh, stumble upon the word or the, or the term uh, cessationist and of course a cessationist is someone that believes something has ceased. And so the cessationists believe that that the things of the Spirit of God that are miraculous or supernatural have ceased. In other words, the cessationists, they, now all Christians, genuine Christians, believe in the person of the Holy Spirit. They all believe in the Trinity, that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They believe the Holy Spirit is a divine personality. He is the third person of the Godhead. They all believe in him, and they believe he has a ministry in the church and, and in the world today through the church. All Christians believe that, but what do they believe about that ministry? And like I said, there, there are a large group of people in the body of Christ that we would categorize as cessationists. They believe that the supernatural demonstrations of the Spirit have ceased. What am I referring to? I'm talking about anything that, that presents uh, uh, a miraculous or out of the ordinary, beyond the natural type of activity uh, of God in our lives. Cessationists do not believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit and speaking with other tongues. Cessationists do not believe in divine healing, that it's God's will to heal. They certainly don't believe in gifts of, the, uh, of healing or the other spiritual gifts. In other words, they, they don't believe in the so-called sign gifts of the working of miracles and gifts of healings, of prophecy, tongues and interpretation of tongues, uh, a special words of knowledge and wisdom and all of those things. They don't believe in any of those things. They call them the sign gifts and they believe they have ceased. Essentially, uh, well, let me back up a little bit. Modernists, modernists and the move of modernism always has that effect to water down and to invalidate anything concerning the word of God that would actually have a profound change and impact upon people's lives. Now, it's nothing new. Modernism, though the word sounds like it's new, modernism is not new. The modernists in Jesus' day, there were modernists in Jesus' day. You know, there were the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Well, the Sadducees were the modernists of Jesus' day. The Sadducees, see, the modernists, like I said, they always water down the Bible and they always say that it doesn't really mean everything it literally says. It means something less than that. It means something less dynamic, less uh, offensive. It, 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 the modernists always want to take the word of God and make it more palatable to those who aren't really on fire for God. And so the modernists in Jesus' day, they were the Sadducees, and, and they didn't believe in the resurrection. They believed that the resurrection was simply a figurative thing that there was no literal resurrection from the dead. So they didn't believe in the resurrection because that's the resurrection supernatural. They didn't believe in spirits. In other words, they didn't believe in a spirit realm. So they neither believed in angels nor demons. And again, what's the effect? 
to wash all of the supernatural out of the people of God so that everything is brought down to today and what you can see with your eyes and what you can experience and, and work or produce with your own hands and your own effort and that God, yes, there's a God, but he's way up there far off somewhere and he's not really doing anything in anybody's lives today. That's what modernism always takes us to. It's what was going on in Jesus' day. It was going on before Jesus' day. It's still going on today. And so the cessationist, is that, that idea, that philosophy comes from this modernistic view, again, that wants to water down and weaken everything that is powerful about the Word of God and, and to make it non-offensive and to make it something that anybody can accept and believe whether you're saved or unsaved. Amen. But you know, we were singing today, he's alive. Well, if he's alive, then, then surely he's going to act like he's alive. I mean, if somebody's alive, there's going to be some evidence they're going to be alive. Isn't that right? You're going to hear from them. You're go they're going to do something if they're alive. See, the, the modernists, they, they want to say God's alive, you know, intellectually, but in practice, he's not alive because he never does anything. He doesn't deliver. He doesn't really answer prayer. Any, any kind of an answer that you can talk about that God really did something miraculous in my life and he intervened, oh no, that's just, you know, you're just losing your, your touch with reality and this can all be explained away and there's nothing supernatural going on. It's just a, it's just a coincidence. These are the results of natural things that happen and so they discount everything God's doing. But no, he's alive. And if Jesus is alive and the Bible says he hasn't changed, then he has to be producing the same thing today that he did when he was here in his earthly ministry, when he was walking in flesh and blood here on the earth. He has to be doing the same things or else he's a different Savior. And if he's the same Savior and he's doing the same things, then we're going to see it. Amen? Well, glory to God. Well, how, now we know he's not here. How does he continue to do these things? He does these things through the Holy Spirit working through the church. It's not just the Holy Spirit and it's not the church. It's the Holy Spirit working through the body of Christ. Because Jesus is in heaven, but his body, the body of Christ, is still here. And he's still working through his body. And why would he work through his body a different way on, on now than his body operated when he was here in the flesh? When he was here in the flesh, he, his body, he put his hands on people and they were healed. He touched blind eyes and they opened. Isn't that right? It, when he was here in the flesh, his body brought miracles everywhere his body went. Well, his body is still here today in the church and the same Holy Spirit that anointed him anoints us. And so if he's alive and nothing has changed, then we ought to be seeing the same things they saw then. And if we're not seeing them, somebody's not believing something. If we're not seeing them, it's not because he's not here. It's not because he's changed. It's not because it's not true. It's because somebody's not believing it. Amen. Praise the Lord. So it's important what we believe, but it's also important what we have. Amen. Now on the other side, there's a cessationist on the other side. You won't see this term very often, but it's an actual term relative to what we're talking about. And this continuationists. Continuationists are people like us who believe that everything that Jesus started, he's continuing it. That the, that the miraculous is continuing today. That signs, wonders, and miracles are continuing. That, that, that tongues continue. Amen. That laying hands on the sick continue. See, a cessationist church wouldn't have what we had this morning. A cessationist church wouldn't have uh, 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 Pastor Angela calling people up to lay hands on them for healing. A brother Steve calling up people and, and laying hands on them to have their material needs met. In fact, it would make most people mad. Things, listen, things as simple as what happened this morning split churches. 
People get mad and leave church. They call it emergency meetings to discuss the outrageous events that were allowed to take place in church this morning. And people get fired and and pastors have to leave and and congregations get all in turmoil by just simply calling somebody up and saying, I'll lay hands on you and God will heal you. Amen. Pastor Greg told us about a friend of his that got all upset because he was in a church service and, and the pastor didn't call for everybody. He called one person up laid hands on one person and God healed that person and this, and, this, and this friend of Pastor Greg said, I had to leave that church. I knew right then I couldn't stay in a church like that that prayed for the sick. And Pastor Greg said, asked him, she said, well, I heard the story. You told me the story. God healed the person that, that the pastor prayed for. This man said, oh, I know. He, God healed him. I know it was God, but I, I'm not staying in a church like that that prays for the sick. Yeah, but... It doesn't make sense. God healed him, so it has to be right. No, no, I know God healed him, but I'm not going to stay in a church that, see how, how crazy religion is. Amen. Well, we are in, the, we, we're in that group called, not very often, but that, like I said, I found this phrase and I didn't make it up. We are continuationists. We believe in the continuation of these things. Well, in order for us to have them, we have to understand uh, more about them. Amen. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing. And hearing. I pointed out the fact that uh, continuationists are are made up of, of three groups. This is just something I, somebody said, and I thought it was interesting. There are the classical Pentecostals. And Pentecostalism, of course, refers to, uh, in modern times, it refers to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the turn of the 20th century, the beginning of the 20th century, when prior to that, now, now throughout church history, there, have all, there has always been people who were filled with the Spirit and spoke with other tongues. There's always been a remnant throughout church history. But on a large scale, as far as a large movement, uh, it, it had pretty much vanished from the scene hundreds of years before uh, 1901. And there were, there were very, very few people who had experienced a baptism of the Holy Spirit speaking with other tongues. Well, on, on uh, uh, New Year's Eve... On uh, 1900, going into 1901, January 1, 1901, uh, a group of people were gathered and they were seeking God. And a woman uh, asked that hands would be laid upon her so that she would receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the minister laid hands on her and uh, she began to speak with other tongues. Well, that kind of caught fire. It sort of ignited. And, and the next, within the next two or three days, everybody in that group it was in a Bible school. And there were you know, some 50 or 60 students, I guess. And they were a large number of them were speaking with other tongues. And it just after that, it just sort of caught fire. And uh, that was in Topeka, Kansas. And then shortly thereafter, just within a couple of years, it had spread to different places. And, and it also occurred in, at the same time in the mountains of Appalachia. And, uh, and then, of course, we all know about the great Azusa Street Revival uh, that began in 19, I think it was 1906. And, uh, uh, and from that, the Pentecostal experience spread all over the world. And so today, uh, as we speak today, there are a half a billion, actually over a half a billion people on the earth who speak with other tongues. And so it's been a tremendous uh, uh, spread. Pentecostalism, taking in all of the other uh, subgroups, Pentecostalism is the most rapidly spreading uh, form of Christianity in the world. And, uh, and so there's the, there's the Pentecostal outpouring that took place the, at the beginning of the 20th century. And out of that came a, a several Pentecostal denominations. And uh, up until the mid 1900s, the mid 20th century, uh, the Holy Spirit 
and speaking with other tongues and healing. See, any time the spirit is poured out, people start getting healed. Laying hands on the sick and people being healed always accompanies people speaking with other tongues, as do all of the other gifts of the Spirit and the miraculous in general. Always accompanies speaking with other tongues. And so these, these things of the miraculous were fairly much uh, limited to those in Pentecostal churches. It was a lot of opposition to this Pentecostal experience. It was uh, soundly criticized and condemned uh, by all other church groups uh, until the, the mid-1900s. And then we had uh, the, the great charismatic renewal. And that's when God began to visit hungry people in the denominational churches and, and Pentecostalism, in effect, spread outside of Pentecostal churches and God began to fill people with the Holy Spirit, speaking with other tongues. People started laying hands on the sick. All of the, the gifts of the Spirit went operation, but it was outside the Pentecostal denominations and it was literally in, in virt- well, virtually every Christian denomination in the world was eventually affected by it. So that was the great charismatic uh, renewal. People very often uh, uh, identify themselves either with Pentecost or charismatic. In other words, they call themselves Pentecostals or charismatics. Now, my family was from, from a Pentecostal tradition, and you've heard my story how my grandmother was filled with the Holy Spirit in uh, 1917 at 19 years of age, and my family you know, came into the Pentecostal experience, and my parents on both sides of my family, my wife's parents and so forth, were all in this Pentecostal move and in a Pentecostal church. I had backslidden as a young man in my... Uh, late teens, early 20s, when I got back into fellowship with the Lord, I started I returned to this Pentecostal church that I grew up in, and the charismatic renewal was in, was in uh, full flow. I had, I had never heard of it. I didn't know what God was doing, you know, because I'd been backslidden. And the charismatic uh, revival or renewal was having an effect in my Pentecostal church. And so as a young man, uh, I really more identified with the charismatic uh, move than I did the Pentecostal move, but I understand where my roots are, and it, and it's all the same tradition and the same basic beliefs, but just a little difference in style, and uh, and so those were the two camps. Now I mentioned this that uh, in recent times there's another group and they call themselves Third Wave, and so when I, I mentioned this on Sunday. A couple of weeks ago at lunch, my sons asked me, what's this third wave business? We've never heard of that. What are the first two waves? Well, the first two waves would be Pentecostalism and charis- the Pentecostal outpour and the charismatic outpour, and now the third wave. The problem with the third wave, not that I'm trying to criticize any particular group because it's not confined to a group necessarily or, or one church or one denomination, is that very often so-called third wavers... Uh, it's a weird sounding word, third wavers. The, the people in the third wave, the problem with it is very often they deny some of the, of the fundamental truths of Pentecostalism, which was not true of the charismatics. The charismatics embraced everything that Pentecostals believed and actually went a little bit further. But the third wavers, and, one, and there's two things that, that, and the reason I bring this up is because you'll, you'll be influenced by this uh, in time, and, and you, need to be, you need to identify these things. There are two things that third waivers sometimes, some of them will deny. First of all, they'll deny that there is a separate baptism of the Holy Spirit. They believe very often that when a person is born again, they are also baptized in the Holy Spirit at the same time. That one event is, is actually two different things. It's, it's the new birth, and it's also the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, the problem with that is that's the same thing as a lot of, of, of uh, traditional, you know, modernists believe. So there's no difference there. And then secondly, many times they'll say, well, we believe in speaking with other tongues and some people among us speak in tongues, but it's not necessary for everybody to speak in tongues. Well, again, that's just a watered-down version of what the modernists believe. It's funny to me or hard for me to believe that there's a third wave of the, of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that denies a critical part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and yet they want to call themselves third waiver. So, but this isn't to fight anybody, but just to give you information. Amen. And so, so uh, you know, we need to define some things because we always have people coming in. I said, we always have people coming in. 
Now, I'm going I'm to get, can I, can, I, can I depart from my message just a little bit for a few minutes? Will you give me just a few minutes? It's in, listen, why, why did I bring up the ministry of Kenneth Hagin and have everybody read uh, I Believe in Visions? And then I talked about the fact that uh, when, when Brother Hagin was 33 years old, now, he talks about it in I Believe in Visions in that first vision in 1950. What, what he doesn't mention in that book, I don't think, but in other writings, is that in 1947, 48, if it's either 46, 47, or 47, 48, during that time period, he began to get real hungry uh, for the things of God, and he started praying the Ephesians prayers for himself that God would give him the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of his understanding being enlightened, the, 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 the prayers, the, the prayer that Paul prayed in the first chapter of Ephesians. And he said during that, those winter months, he prayed that over and over and over again, probably a thousand times. He would just leave his Bible open in the church and he would pray those prayers. And uh, he said the Lord spoke to him and said, I'm going to take you on to visions and revelations. And he said the, 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 the revelations started coming immediately and the vision started coming in 1950 and he records that first vision that's, that's that chapter entitled Come Up Hither. That was the first vision he received. But the Lord told him, I'm going to take you on to visions and revelations. He said the revelations started coming immediately and he said the Lord took him through the New Testament. And he said, basically, he read through the New Testament on his knees and the Spirit of God would just reveal sometimes entire chapters at a time and, and, and just bring him revelation of the New Testament. And he said he told his wife after, after a short time of this, he said, what in the world have I been teaching? He said, I have been so dumb, it's amazing that the ushers didn't have to come get me and take me in out of the rain. What in the world have I been teaching? He said his understanding and knowledge of the New Testament just grew so dramatically that during that time when the spirit of revelation was given to him. Well, God did that for a reason. It wasn't just for Brother Hagin. These things that, that God showed Brother Hagin during this time and, and, and the other visions and revelations that he had were given to bring truth to the body of Christ so that the church would rise up and take its place. Now, Brother Hagin mentions in that, in that book, uh, I Believe in Visions, he talks about that first, that first vision he had in Rockwell, Texas in 1950, that if, if you read that story very carefully, it was a lot about the end times. Remember the horse and the rider? And uh, that he saw, you know, as the Lord, there was three parts to that vision. The second part, he said the, first, the per first part of the vision, he was called up to heaven. And he didn't go into heaven, but just saw it kind of from, from the outskirts. And then the Lord showed him heaven. Then they went to hell, and the Lord showed him hell. And then he came back, and he said suddenly he realized he was still kneeling on the platform. And uh, Jesus was there for a moment, and then he left, and he was still kneeling on the platform. He said all of a sudden the Holy Spirit moved on him again, and it's like a wind blew in and knocked him flat on his face. And during that part, and now the third part of the visitation after that, he said the, the Jesus appeared to him again, standing up high in the tent, saying, come up hither. And that time he went up to heaven again and saw some other things. But in that second uh, part of that vision, he was called away somewhere on this plane, he said it was just this big open expanse, you know, like you'd stand out on a, on a plane somewhere, but, but he wasn't, he was in any place he recognized. He didn't see anything. He saw this horse. How many of you read that book? He saw the horse and the rider coming toward him. And if you read that vision, it, the, it has so much to say about the end times. The, the, what was written on the scroll, he showed him things that were going to come to pass. And over and over again, he said, the, 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 the writer said, and, and, and as he read these things, and then he would see what he read. It would be unveiled and, and kind of unfold in front of him. And over and over again, it was said that this is the last great revival. And before the return of the, of the Lord, that the miraculous will take place and the gifts of the Spirit will be in operation like they've never been before. And there'll be a great move of God. So, so the vision God had for him was all about the end times. 
Now, he didn't point it out in that book. He just said in the book that uh, he told his mother about that vision and, and his mother confirmed to him what Jesus told him that before he was born, you know, Jesus came down in a cloud and appeared to her and, uh, and said, fear not, the child will be born. And in the book, he said that she said that and that Jesus said that he will bear witness to my second coming. That is, he will have a part to play in the, in the revival that will usher in the return of the Lord. Not that he would be the only one, but he would be one of the ones. I pointed out that in 2000, that was in, in, in 1950. In 2001, two years before Brother Hagin went to heaven, before he died, uh, at camp meeting that summer, he told a little bit more. He gave a little bit more insight about that vision. And he said that when Jesus, because when he told this to his mother about what Jesus said, he said his mother asked him, what did Jesus say I was supposed to call you? What was I supposed to call you? He didn't put that in the book. He told it in 2001. And he said, Jesus said you, that you were supposed to call me John. For as John the Baptist was a forerunner of the first coming of Christ that Brother Hagen, whose name was, was to be John, would be a forerunner of Christ's second coming. And of course his mother didn't name him John and Jesus said it doesn't matter about the name. It's, it has to do with the ministry and the work of God. And what Brother Hagen pointed out in 2001 was something that confirmed something I had always felt and believed and, and said and practiced. And that was that I always felt that I had somehow uh, partaken of Brother Hagen's ministry and that I was called to to do what Brother Hagin did and go teach my people faith and then later the move of the Holy Spirit. Remember Brother Hagin's ministry, the first part of it for a number of years, it was all about faith. And then in the last few years of his life, the last 20 years, it was about the move of the Holy Spirit. And so we have the term today, the word and spirit move. Back in the earlier days when we, when we started our church, we called ourselves unofficially a word church. If you talk to somebody about starting a church like ours, it was very common for people to say, oh yeah, that's a word church. That means it's a church like ours that bases everything on the word of God. That was the emphasis, was the word of God and then all the things that flow out of that faith and authority and who we are in Christ and all of those things. But it was the word movement. And then in, 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 the, in the 1980s and going on up until the time of his death, Brother Hagin emphasized, he stayed on the message of faith of course, but he also emphasized the importance of the, of the move of the spirit. And, the, and that Jesus had said to him, you've, you've spent enough time teaching on faith and there are other people that have been raised up that can teach that. But now you need to go teach my people about the move of the Spirit because there's a move of the Spirit and a depth of the Spirit that will be lost unless somebody teaches them. Well, that was part of Brother Hagin's commission. Well, when we started our church, uh, I always felt like my... my because Brother Hagen was my spiritual father. My, I had three spiritual fathers in my life, my natural father, my pastor, and then Brother Hagen. Brother Hagen had by far the greatest effect on me in terms of my ministry and my message, and I received from him the message of faith and then later the message of the move of the Holy Ghost. In the beginning days, when we started the church in 1980, we were more just word and less spirit. And, and then in... in more recent times in the 1980s and 90s, we, and, and we started to experience more of the move of the Spirit because we realized we were lacking in that area. And so, like I said, I always felt like that I was an extension, if you want to say it that way, of Brother Hagin's ministry. Not that I'm a prophet, not that I you know, have his mantle in that sense, but I'm an extension of what God called Brother Hagin to do, he called me to do, and by extension, he called this church to do. Well, when Brother Hagin pointed that out in 2001, he said that... that Jesus said, you, or, or said to his mother, your child will be a, not the, but a forerunner of the second coming of Christ, just like John the Baptist was a forerunner of the first coming of Christ. Brother Hagin said then, he said, the reason I didn't say that in all these years, nearly 51 years went by, and he never said that publicly. Now, most people couldn't have sat on that for 51 years. I guarantee if, 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 I guarantee if, brother, if Jesus appeared to, to Brother Steve and said, you're a forerunner of the second coming of Christ, it'd take him about two weeks and he'd tell somebody. I'm just kidding. I'm just joking. But, but I'm saying Brother Hagin sat on that for 51 years. 
and never preached it. Why was that? He said he, went, he didn't want to draw attention to himself because he realized it really wasn't talking about him alone. It was talking about the message that God gave him, which, is, which has to do with all of these revelations and the full understanding of the New Testament that we've entered into. Not that we know it all. We don't know it all. But I tell you what, we know a whole lot more than we used to know. I know what I knew before I was introduced to Kenneth Hagin and his material, and I know what I know now. They're worlds apart. What we know and what we understand as, as, as true that we see so clearly in the word of God, you wonder how in the world can people not see this? It is everywhere. I'm telling you, I remember being born again and spirit-filled and not seeing it, and my denomination didn't see it, and nobody else saw it. And so, and so God raised up Brother Hagen to bring a message for the end times. Now, Brother Hagen passed onto the scene. I know some of you thought when I kept bringing this up because was, I was slow to getting this out, you were wondering, what are you trying to create in here? Some kind of a Hagen cult, you know? And I know some of you thought that. You ought to know me better than that. But anyway, no, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the message of faith and the move of the Holy Spirit is the message that will usher in the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Brother Hagin didn't talk about this because he knew that people would make something out of him. They would want to enshrine him and, and make him out somebody, you know, then they'd start calling him the forerunner and all that stuff. He didn't want anything to do with that. But he said in, night, in, in 2001, he said, I've been, he said, I could not tell it until now, but the Lord says tonight is the night. He said, because though we don't want to magnify a person, we need to magnify the ministry. We need to magnify the message. We need to magnify the call of God and what God's trying to do in the church. And then he went on to say in 2001, he said, all of you out there, talking about the camp meeting crowd, he said, you're all partakers of this. You all have the same purpose I have. You all have the same call I have. We're, this, he said, this movement is a forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's what I'm trying to get everybody to see. We've talked a lot about revival in the last few years. Well, I wonder why. It's because what God has given us is the truth and the revelation or revelation. It, it, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about some revelations that are outside the word of God. You know, a revelation that, you know, you're not supposed to wear sunglasses or some kind of crazy thing like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the revelation, the basic understanding of the word of God. Our vision is the things that we've seen and the things that he will yet reveal to us. Well, it's all of these things. The, the, the truth that we have, I'm not, understand, I'm not saying we know everything or we have everything. But I'm saying I know, we know enough about the word of God to live a victorious life. We know enough about the will of God to lay hold of what belongs to us and live a, an overcoming, devil-defeating, God-glorifying witness for the Lord Jesus Christ everywhere we go. We have the revelation of that, and it is the revelation that the church has to have before Jesus can return. What we know has to go mainstream before Jesus comes back. At least in the remnant church that'll be ready for the Lord. Because there's a lot of people who won't be ready at his coming. I didn't say they're not going, I said they won't be ready. I didn't say they won't go in the rapture, I'm saying there are a lot of people who won't be ready for that rapture and the Bible says lest we are ashamed at his calling. There's gonna be a lot of, or it is coming. There are a lot of people that are gonna stand before him they're gonna be ashamed at his coming. I didn't say they weren't going but they won't, they won't, they won't be receiving the words well done, good and faithful servant. I think some people are gonna receive the, the word well done. <laughs> well done that's not what the word I want I want the I want to hear well done good and faithful servant amen not well you're done amen glory to God so that's that's why I introduced this and why I wanted you to read brother Hagin's book so that you could see the part that God gave him he gave us 
And, and, and it's our calling to be in a state of revival and to cause this revival to spread. Now I'm going to say what I started to say when I said, can I, can I get off my message just a little bit? Because none of that was part of that. <laughs> Everybody knows that it's, it's discouraging to come to church and have a lot of empty seats. I didn't say one or two, I said a lot of empty seats. When we come to church and there are a lot of empty seats, it's discouraging because we are, that's just normal. I, now, we had a great service. I'm not criticizing anything about today. You guys came in ready today. You were fired up. You know, there's always some people on the peripheral, but, you know, we had enough people with us today. We had a good flow, you know. And so I, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm not, I'm not criticizing that at all. But, but what I'm saying is, if we had uh, if we had everybody today who normally comes to church here, I don't mean just a visitor that's come once or twice, but everybody who comes with some, you know, there are some people that come regularly in our church and they're regularly once a month. Or they're, they're I mean, they're regular about once every six weeks or every two months. I mean, regularly for years, they've been coming about that often. I'm talking about if you had everybody who regularly comes to our church with whatever regularity that is, if they were all here today, they could have been. I'm talking about people that if they showed up, nobody would be surprised. Oh, yeah, we've seen you before. You know, not just once or twice, but, yeah, your brother so-and-so. You've been coming here for years. If we had everybody like that today, it would be more exciting. This place would be almost full. You cannot tell me that, that even people who are not striving for, you know, we're reaching, aren't we? When we come into the service today, we're, a lot of you are reaching. I mean, we're reaching. We want everything. Even if you weren't reaching, if you just kind of cruised in here casually, you're not prayed, not really excited about it, if, if this place was nearly full, it would affect you. It would affect you. It affects visitors. I said it'll have the same effect on visitors. And so my comments today are not mostly for you. It's mostly for those people who don't come all the time. But like today, there's always somebody represented. I'm not looking around. I'm not thinking about anybody. I'm just thinking about Drew here, you know. <laughs> I'm not thinking about anybody. But I'm saying there's in any service, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, any week and in any month of the year, there will always be some of those people in church and so that's who I'm talking about today. And that's who I'm talking to. Start coming all the time. It's important. Your presence is important. Start coming all the time. Start being here. Start coming hungry. Coming here, entering in, pulling on everything, reaching for everything. It's important. And I'm going to say it next week and the following because I'm going to pick up a few every week. I'm going to pick up a few more every week. You need to be in church. It's important. Well, what if I don't feel like? Stop living for yourself. Listen, you should not just come to church for what you can get out of it. I'm going to say that over here. You should not come to church for just for what you can get out of it. That is selfish. As a member of a church, you're, you're partially obligated to help somebody else. You have a responsibility. It's not the only responsibility, but you have a responsibility to be a blessing to somebody else. And just your old dead cold carcass can be a help to somebody. Even if you're not even entering in, like I said, just being here will be a help. How much more if you come in hungry? If we're going to have, re see, I talk, we've been talking about revival for two, over two years, almost three years. How in the world can people who just come once in a while, how in the world can they say they're in revival? You can't. That's, that's not revival. And so what I, I want to see is I want to see revival spread 
So all of us who are faithful, we need to come in hungry. If we allow ourselves to get down and, and not really give our best in a service, we're going to deny a, a, a demonstration of, of the power and the glory of God to those people who are just unfaithful and just coming. They need to see something. One of the reasons people don't come more often is they don't experience anything when they do come. Come on now. One reason people don't come very often is they don't get anything when they do come and it's not just my fault. And it's not just Brother Steve's fault. And it's not just the band's fault and the worship leader's fault. Come on. It's not just a few people's fault when people don't get anything out of the service. The reason some people don't get anything out of the service is there wasn't much to get. <laughs> Everybody happy and feel good? <laughs> yeah. We need to have revival every time we come together and we're all responsible for that. And if we'll start doing that, and, and, and like I said, we, today was good. Anybody that was casual to come in today, they'd experience, they'd, they would sense the power of God just being here today. They need to sense it every time they come. They need to sense it, and, and, and I believe some of them are going to catch on fire, and I believe actually a lot of them are going to catch on fire. And you see how that grows. A church that's not on fire is not attractive to anybody. Amen. Now you can do a lot of things. There are a lot of different ideas about how to attract people today and you can have all kinds of stuff, work up a bunch of stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about fire. I'm talking about Holy Ghost fire. Fire from heaven. Fire from heaven attracts people. And it does offend some people. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. You know, sometimes people leave, you know, they, over one reason and it always, you know, I want to find out why. And if it's something, you know, that's, that was just an, a misunderstanding, you know, I try, to, I try to help, you know, well, you know, what can I, but when I find out somebody left because of the move of God, it's like, hallelujah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I mean, if somebody's not going where we're going, they're not helping by being here. Isn't that right? And, uh, and so we, we, we need the fire of God to be in manifestation. Amen. And it's not just one person's or five person's responsibility. It's not just brother, uh, uh, what's his name over here, Q. <laughs> it's not just Quentin's responsibility. Amen. And everything I said, and everything I said on Sunday morning is true on Wednesday night. <laughs> Isn't it? It is. <laughs> Amen. Well, glory to God. Well, I, I, I don't have time to get back to what I was talking about. But I wanted to say that anyway. It helps us. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Jesus is coming back to a church that is on fire. Jesus is not coming back to a passed away, nothing happening, no power, He's not, that's, not what, that's not the church he's coming back. Because if he does, he failed. He said if he does, he failed. Jesus sanctified himself. For what reason? That we might be complete, fully conformed to his will. That we would be without spot, without blemish. That we would be uh, full of his glory and power. And that's the church he's coming back for. Well, you know, uh, if we're that generation, then we need to be mindful of that. It needs to be, it needs to be something that we're aware of because he's coming back. I believe we're the generation, and, and we need to stir ourselves. We need to stir ourselves. And, 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 and if you're here and you're one of those that just comes every now and then, you need to be here every time. I said you need to be here every time we have a service. It's important. Yeah. Hallelujah. Well, praise the Lord.
You know, all of our services are different. Sunday night is different from Sunday morning. Wednesday night is different from Sunday morning and Sunday night. They're, all of our services are different, and, and they all are part of, of this church and of what God does in this church. You need to be here all the time. Amen. Now, I'm not saying you can't take vacations, and, and, and you know, I know it's the holidays. People are going out of town to see people. I'm not, even, I'm not even talking about that. I will say this, though. It shouldn't be something that ever, any little thing that comes up, you find an excuse to not be in church. Amen. You ought to be looking for excuses to be in church. Yeah, this is coming up. Yeah, but, you know, I really need to be in church. Can we do this some other time? Amen. Instead of the other way around. Yeah, praise the Lord. Well, glory to God. Did you get anything out of this? We need the move of the Holy Ghost. We need it all. So we're going to talk about some of these things. You say, well, why, you know, we all know about it. Uh, we don't know enough. I'm going to tell you this. When it comes to speaking with other tongues, the, the importance of speaking with tongues, or let me say this, put it this way. Speaking with tongues has never been more important to me than it is right now. In my own personal life, praying with other tongues has never been more important than it is right now. It's always been, it's always been important. But the Holy Spirit is, is refreshing me and redefining some things and I'm seeing some things in, in a clearer light than I've ever seen them before. And, and, and what, what, I am be, what I am growing to understand is even a greater sense of importance. Oh, I tell you, no wonder the devil fights speaking with other tongues. I mean, he fights it with everything he has. There's a reason for it. Speaking with other tongues is the doorway into the supernatural. It's the doorway into all of the other moves of God's Spirit. It's the doorway into all the other moves of God's Spirit. It's the doorway into the miraculous, the supernatural. Amen. So that's why I, I keep talking about that. Yeah, well, Pastor, we know these things. Yeah, but are you doing it? You know, I don't think many of us overdo it or tongues and, and praying in other tongues are concerned. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.